right? Like, well, I want a chip. Well, I'll get it for you. You, you know, and, and, and they lean in and it's like, okay, here's your, that's it. You know, the rest is mine, but you, you know, rather than we fight over, let me find one of these. The, the crinkled ones, those are the best, right? Those ones that are rolled over, or do you ever, are you ever eaten the bag of chips and you're not looking and you get one of those black burnt ones? It's like, how did that get in there? You know, maybe my kids wouldn't do this, but maybe yours would. They grab that one. You know, I don't see any in this bag, but, but they grab that one. You get this one, but the rest is mine. And it gets worse when it gets down low, right? When it gets down, that's emergency time. Keep everybody away. Dump the crumbs into your mouth before anybody else has a chance. Well, here's the thing. Imagine, you know, one of our kids with a bag of chips hoarding it, and mom and dad say, hey, we want a chip. And they're like, hold on, let me give you, because these are mine. Well, the question is, who, who worked to earn the money to buy the chips? Not you. The parents. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's good. Who went to the store and picked out the bag of chips and put it in the The parents. This is aw I love having kids in here. The parents picked out. Who brought it home and put it in the cupboard? The parents. So if the parents do all the work to earn the money, to pick it out, to buy it, and to bring it home, and then one of the kids is like, mine. OK, we'll let you have some. And they go, eh, I'm going to give back to you just a little. There's just something off about that. In a similar way, we can be that way with Christ. We can be that way with God. With what God has provided to us, he has blessed us abundantly. We've just been singing about his goodness. And sometimes our generosity back to him is like the burnt chip. But you know what I mean? Like we have this bag of blessings that God has given us, uh, you know, of, of our family, of salvation, of life, all the things you just thank God for. All these are in our bag and we got, God, we're so thankful. And to show you how thankful we are, well, you're going to have half a burnt one. You, you know, we give that, but the rest is mine. This is our third week in our series from two through four. And we're answering the question, how does God fuel his mission? And, and this is what, what fires me up, what excites me about this, this whole study, this four-week study, is it's all about his mission. And, and his mission, you know, we say it differently here. Uh, we say that our mission is to expand God's kingdom in our lives and the world around us. It's just our way of saying the Great Commission, to go make disciples of all nations. That we want to grow in Christ. We want to experience the freedom that comes from him. And then we want to introduce that to others. That's why we get so excited about 13 baptisms already. Because in a church our size, that many, and then there's more to come, maybe at least two, maybe six more to come. That's exciting stuff. That's what we're about, seeing life come to new people and then seeing the rest of us who already know Christ to grow, to surrender. You know, we were just thinking about that, to surrender more and more to him and experience his freedom. That's our mission. But how does God fuel that mission? And we began the first week looking at, at perspective. And really the perspective runs throughout all four weeks. But it begins with week one, from, and that's the idea of provision. That everything we have comes from God. Provision, God is the provider because he owns all of it. The picture we used was a box. We had a box that says God's stuff on it. And everything is in the box. The planets, you know, the, the, the solar system, the sun, the stars, the earth, the rivers, the streams, you, your children, your gifts, your abilities, your bank account, all of that is in this box. But then inside God's box, we had another little box that said, my stuff. 
And that's the box that is what God has entrusted to you. So that was, first week was from, the second week was to. Some of what belongs to God, he has entrusted to his people. Some. So you have some things in your box that you are responsible for. You are a steward. That is the principle of stewardship. Your box is still within God's box. So everything you have actually belongs to God. He has just entrusted it to you for a little while. Stewardship. Now from to, now we go to through. That's this week, through. That God's plan is that a portion of what he has entrusted to me will be given back to him. Through, it all comes from God because he owns it all. Some of what belongs to him he has given to his people so that through his people he can do the things he wants to do. There's some weird thing about God and, and, and how he works on earth, and it's that he wants to work through his people. If I, you know, if God asked me to be his counselor, which would be a horrible idea, I would probably counsel against that. Just do it all yourself. Use your angels. People are messed up. I'm messed up. But for some reason, God has chosen to work through his people. We, we say that here at Common Ground, that we are God's plan A and there is no plan B. I mean, God's mission is to see the world change, to see people saved and come into relationship with him. And we're plan A. Look in the mirror. You're plan A. There is no plan B. God has chosen to work through his people. And so today we're, we're, we're looking at that, that everything we have comes from God, that we steward, and a portion of what he has entrusted to us, we are to give back to him. So our word for the day is generosity. We're talking about generosity. God's people are inherently generous people. A faithful Jesus follow, follower is marked by generosity. Now, when you hear a sermon on this, you, you know, you read on this, sometimes it, it feels like a manipulative, manipulative thing, trying to get people to give, you know, because we have a ministry and we need money or whatever it is. But that's not it. Look at, look at that. It's on your notes right there. You can put that back up. But God's people, a Jesus follower, is marked by generosity. Someone sold out to Jesus, someone surrendered, as we've been praying, doesn't have to be told to be generous. You know, they might need to learn biblically how or what, but inherently we are generous people because we are made in God's image for one. But then when we are remade, reborn, which we symbolize in baptism, we receive the Holy Spirit. And from then on, this process is taking place in us called sanctification, whereby we become more and more like Jesus. And Jesus is generous. And as we become more like Jesus, we become more and more generous. We have a couple pictures you know, in Scripture, there's the Old Testament written in Hebrew mostly. There's the New Testament written in Greek. And in both of those languages, a lot of times words have pictures associated with them. And so in the, the, the biblical idea, Old Testament and New Testament idea of generosity, carry some word pictures that they would understand. One of them is, is this. You know, you have some water and you have a, a rag, a towel. And sometimes we view generosity... You know, it's just kind of, we just dip the corner. You know, we just get, it's just a little bit. You know, I don't want to get all wet. It's like me when I go in the pool with the kids. I just want to float on the tube and just have my feet in. Uh, they want me to get all the way in. Biblically, generosity is you're getting all the way in. You know, you're soaking this. You know, so that's, that's kind of the, one of the biblical pictures of generosity. That God fills you up so it can continue to pour out. So that's one picture of generosity. Here's another 
picture of generosity of, of a vase of something filled with water. And God fills it. God provides. He gives so that things can be full. But generosity isn't just filling, but filling to overflowing. I'm going to make a mess up here. But that's, but that's a picture of our generosity. Not, not, but we are going to give. We are so generous, it overflows. And look at that. It's going to make a real mess. That's, that's the picture of generosity overflowing. You know, I'm going to move this so I don't knock it over. But I like these word pictures. And God is good in his word to give us these word pictures of what is generosity. So we're going to be looking at generosity. And we are going to be in Malachi specifically. So you can turn there. It's the last book in your Old Testament. Uh, it, it looks like Malachi, but it's Malachi. <laughs> if you're a little bit confused, you know where, Je or, uh, where Matthew is, go to Matthew and then turn left a couple pages and you'll find Malachi. But the last picture, as you turn there, the last picture or, or word I want to see for generosity is found in 1 Timothy 6.18. And 1 Timothy 6.18 says, instruct those who are rich to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now, now leave that up. We looked at this last week and we acknowledge that some of us might read that and go instruct the rich and go good. Those rich people need to be generous. But we looked at this website, globalrichlist.com, and we typed in, if you make 25,000 a year, you're in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in all of earth, of, of the 7 billion people. Average household income in Carson City is 50,000, about 50,000, it's actually more than that. But if you do 50,000, if your household makes that, that puts you in the top 0.31% of the richest people in the world. Our point was this, this scripture that says, in this First Timothy, instruct those who are rich, that's us. That's all of us. And we are instructed to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Here's the idea of generous there. That Greek word is, is open-handed. That's the word picture that comes with that word. It's like this. It, everything you have, you hold like this. You know, and you can kind of wiggle your fingers. Holding things lightly is that picture. So the biblical idea of generosity is that we hold our, our stuff, not just our stuff, our time is included, our talents and our treasures. We hold that all loosely, lightly, ready to give it away ready to share, ready to be generous, looking for opportunities. This is in your notes if you're a note taker. Generosity, living life, looking for opportunities to leverage what we have for the good of God's kingdom and other people. That's generosity. And again, this isn't just for some Christians. This is for every Jesus follower. Why? Because that's who Jesus is. We are never more like Jesus than when we're being generous. Think about that. We're never more like Jesus than when we're being generous. Generosity is at the center of the gospel. John 3.16, you probably know this verse. Even if you're new to, to church, you've never been to church, maybe it's the first time you probably know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're new to church, you're trying this out, the message for you today isn't to go be generous with what God has given to you. The message for you today is to experience God's generosity. 
That's, that's what you need before. You know, we don't need your stuff. God doesn't need your stuff. We're going to see that. God wants you. And God has been generous. Now, look at these, these word pictures of generosity and consider the gospel. Consider what God has done for us. God, the only one eternal, the, the only one deserving of all worship, all glory, all praise, the one who owns everything, he decided to send his son. Generosity. He sent his son as a baby born in a manger. He, he lived a poor life. He didn't live a wealthy life. He lived a poor life and eventually he went to the cross. He suffered and he died for our sins. This morning as I was preparing this and I was just thinking about this picture, I want you to think of this. Look around. You, you know, Pick 10 people sitting around you. Just kind of look around. Pick, say somebody's going to torture those 10 people and kill them. Or you can endure the torture and death for them. Would you do it? For those 10 people around, you might look around and go like, mm, maybe, maybe a couple of them. <laughs> Now, that's, that's what, that would be hard. I mean, wouldn't that be, that'd be horrible. Now, imagine this, you parents, one of your kids being tortured for the safe, you know, for, for the life of those 10 people, that you would give one of your kids, that your kid would go willingly, but that they would be, and you would watch them be tortured and killed just to save 10 others. That's worse, isn't it? That's what our father has done. That's what, and we can't even imagine. Our earthly picture is so small because God who sent Jesus to suffer, and he, he suffered whipping and lashings, the, the, the crown of thorns, and then crucifixion where you die of suffocation. That's what he went through. But more than that, that's all we understand. He took the sin of the world on his shoulders. All the darkness that ever was, was put on him. We can't even imagine that suffering. And the father let that happen. Watch that happen. That's generosity. And that's why I say our generosity is just an overflow of his generosity. Because if this is what he has done for us, and, and it doesn't even end there. So then he did that for us, that we could have life in him. Then he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us walk through this life, to convict us of sin, to encourage us when we're down. He gives us hope. Well, I, our next series is, is going to be biographies of faith looking at Hebrews 11, and as I'm writing and preparing for that, I'm so excited because what we're looking at is hope, our confident assurance of what's going to happen. Regardless of what happens here, guess what's going to happen? For eternity, if your faith is in Jesus, you're with him forever. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. We'll be with him forever. He has given us so much, his generosity, that for us, our response can only be that we are generous back. So again, if you're here and maybe that's new to you and that's stirring your heart, at the end of the service, you're going to have a chance. You can go to one of our prayer people. You can pray with them that you could experience God's generosity and life. But now for the rest of us, we're going to talk about our generosity. And specifically, we're going to look at our generosity through a local church. Again, this is another one of those concepts that God decided to work through his people, not around him. And he decides to work through his church. There is really no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. For some reason, he's called us to do the dance of the porcupine and, and do all this together, that we go through this life together. It is, it is the church, not a building, but a congregation, a gathering of his people and everybody, every believer everywhere is part of the church. But then he expresses himself in local communities like this one. And we'll say it this way, that we don't give to a church, we give 
through a church as an investment to see God's kingdom expanded locally and globally. We give through a church. We are a conduit as believers. We are a conduit of God's blessing to the world. So turn to Malachi chapter 3. This is the last book of the Old Testament. After this book, there would be 400 years of silence, 400 years until John the Baptist would come. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. John the Baptist had a message from God that he was bringing to people that, that the Messiah is coming. Repent, turn to God, the Messiah is coming, and he was paving that way. There was 400 years. And the Jews were a little bit off in Malachi, and 400 years later, they would still be off when Jesus would come. They had received the law. They had received many things from God. They had been sent into exile. They had been brought back from exile to the land where they currently are right now in, in Israel over there by the Mediterranean Sea. They came back. They rebuilt the temple. They had some periods of real blessing, uh, of turning back to God, of sacrificing and, and back in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, after that, they've strayed. And they've been wandering farther and farther from God. And they've gotten to this point where it's about religion, not about the religion. They were going through the motions. Yeah, there's a God. We should do these things. But their heart wasn't in it anymore. And so God sends Malachi with this message. Look at Malachi 3. I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. God says to his people, From the days of your fathers... You have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So you see here, the, these people who were still doing religion got this message from God. How would you like to hear this message? From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside and you're not following me. Your religion is wrong and so was your dad's and so was your great-great-grandparents. They've been doing it wrong for a long time and they've passed it down to you and I'm not happy. What if we got that message from God? They got that message and God enters into a conversation where, where he's kind of playing both parts. He asks the question, he says, well, since he's God, he knows their response. So he, he puts their side as well. But he says this, he says, return to me. This is the key to this passage. What is this idea of returning? Is there a New Testament concept that we have of returning? It's repentance. That's what he's saying. You've been going the other way. I need you to repent turn and return to me, follow me. It's the idea of repentance. This is the same thing that we all need. The same uh, principle in any life is that a person needs to turn from going their way and turn to God. It's repentance. John the Baptist, what was his first message? Repent and turn to God. Jesus, what was his first message when he, he was walking around? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
That is always the first message. And so here, Malachi, coming in the name of the Lord, says, repent. And then the people ask, well, how? Why do we need to repent? We're doing religion. Why do we need to repent? And God says, well, will a man rob God? They say, what do you mean? Man, he said, you're robbing me and your tithes and your offerings. So we're going to look through this and we're going to ask and answer three questions, three practical questions about stewardship and generosity. Here's the first question. Why should I give? Why should I give? Well, let's look. He begins here in verse 10. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you until, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Here's the first thing. Because God commands it. This sounds a little bit horrible. It's one of those, you know, you tell your kids to do something. Why? Because I told you so. It's a little bit of that. And you may be going, well, this is the Old Testament. And we're going to look at that in a little bit, that really this command goes throughout all of Scripture, that we are to be generous and sacrificial givers. So why should we give? Because God has told us to. And here's the principle behind that. Whenever God tells us to do something, it's always for our good. That's what's exciting about the Bible. That's what's exciting about knowing Him. If He ever gives instruction, it's for our good. It's not for our demise. It's not because He needs something. It's actually for our good, whatever that would be. And this is one of those. God wants what's best for us. You know, you see that here in the Old Testament. You also see it in 1 Timothy that we already looked at, where we're called to be generous and ready to share. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, which we're going to look at some next week, is probably the best, most comprehensive New Testament passage. But there we're commanded to give generously, sacrificially, first, freely. So God commands it. But that's not all. He commands it so we can partner with him. This is in your notes. God has chosen in his sovereignty to fuel his mission through the generosity of his people. Look at this. He says in verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that means to the temple, that there may be food in my house. The point, in that context, the Old Testament, uh, under law, the temple was the location of God's presence. The temple was the place where people would go to worship, go to sacrifice, and it was through God's people, through his temple, that he wanted to make himself known to the rest of the world. That changed when Jesus came. The temple was no longer needed. Now, how does God make himself known? Through his church through his people. Now we have very similar mission to the Jews at that time. They were to bring God glory by helping the rest of the world fear him. Same with us. So here they were told to bring their tithes into the storehouse that there may be resources in his house for kingdom work. Again, not that he needs it, but this is God's opportunity to carry out his mission through us. Let me, uh, Let me expound on this a little bit. Raise your hand if you've been blessed in any way by the ministry of Common Ground. Now, we're not going to go through the list, but but look at almost everybody's hand came up. Maybe this is your first time and you have to wait a couple weeks. (laughs) (laughs) But I could go through story after story of people being blessed, not because we're great, 
Not because Paul's a great musician, but because God is great. People have come here, people who have been burned by church, you know, and we won't have a show of hands of who's been burned by other believers. And by the way, stay here long enough, you'll probably get burned too, because we're still people. But people have been burned and abandoned church and found community here sometimes for the first time. Oh, this is what God wants to do in among his people. Some of us here, and I won't have a show of hands, have found Jesus for the first time in here and found like that is so exciting. Some of us here have experienced healing in marriages, marriages that were going to fail. It was over, and now they're going strong and they're healthy. We did the uh, sports camp a few weeks ago for, for kids. We did it down at the park. One of the kids, when they left, they said, Mom, all those people seem to know each other, and they're a lot of fun. She said, yeah, because they all go to church together. He's like, wow, can we go to that church? You know, I, I like, so right there, here's a kid experiencing community. Again, this isn't to toot our horn. It's all about the glory of God. But the General Improvement District in Indian Hills, they gave us the award this last year, I think, for servants of the year. I don't, something like that. Um, we, we began partnering with them, helping their things be successful. And at first, they're like, yeah, we don't really need your help. Now, whenever they do something, they call us. Hey, we're doing this. How many people can you send to help? And they are starting to get an idea of the grace and the love of God. I could go on Pinion Hills Elementary School. We're not meeting there anymore. But through that, God did some great things. I look around in here and I see people who weren't serving before who have taken leadership roles. I mean, God is doing amazing things. And here's the point. If you have ever given to Common Ground, you take part in those stories. That is God's mission being carried out. And if common ground ceases to exist, God's mission continues, absolutely, because he doesn't need us. But if you have given to common ground at any point, you actually get to share in those stories. That's awesome. That's a big deal. It is one way we partner with what God is doing. It's not the only way, and I would say it's not the most important way, but it's one way, and it is a very important way that we get to partner in what God has done and what he is continuing to do. I could go on with the stories. I have a bunch more written in here, but I'm not going to. You get the point. But here's another thing we see in this, in this verse, in these verses. He says, you are robbing me. They say, what do you mean? How can somebody rob God? Everything belongs to you. He says, you're robbing me through your tithes and offerings for your, from your lack of giving. A lack of giving robs God and limits my involvement in his activity. So there's, there's three Hebrew words for rob or, or steal. The first one is to take by violent force. You know, somebody walking down the street, somebody comes up, knocks them out, takes their... That's the first one. Uh, the second one is to take by oppression or exhortion, extortion, to take it that way. The third is to take by deception. This is fraud or embezzlement. That's the word used here. This is really enlightening, embezzlement. Maybe you've seen that in the news or, or known somebody dealt with that. The idea of embezzlement is that you are working for a company and you take what belongs to the company and you use it for yourself. You, you take their money, their resources, and go put it into your house. Or you're sneaking money. By the way, this happens all the time in churches. That's embezzlement. If you get caught, guess what? You're going to go to jail because it's illegal. That's the word used here. God is saying, if you're not giving generously back you're, you're embezzling from me because guess what? 
it's not yours anyway. It's mine. That's the idea of stewardship. It all belongs to him. Some of what belongs to him, he's entrusted to us. And a portion of what he's entrusted to us is to be given back to him. When we deny that, when we say, no, it's all mine, he says, that's embezzlement. You're actually robbing me. So here's the second question. How much should I give? How much should I give? Well, before we look at amount, Proverbs 3.9, we looked at this the last couple weeks. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So here's, here's a big principle of giving. Give to God first. Before we talk about amount, make him a priority and give to him first. Why? Because that honors him. It recognizes everything I have comes from you, so I'm going to give my first and best back to you. First and best. Now, some of you in here, or you might know the person that's sitting there thinking, this is Old Testament law, none of this applies to us. The, the tithe was a 10% given through Moses, you know, given to his people. Well, here's the thing. Part of that is true. Under the Old Testament law, they had to give 10%. Actually, they gave quite a bit more. Under Jesus Christ, under grace, we're, we're now under grace, not law, there is no amount. There is no 10% rule. That's true. But yet there is something about this 10%, and there is something about giving to him first that has always been the standard of God's people. If we get stuck on the 10%, we can get stuck on legalism. But that's not the point. But it is important to look at what God has done uh, through his people. Genesis 4.4 is the first time you see this. Right at the beginning, you have Adam and Eve, and they had a couple sons, Cain and Abel, and maybe you know the story. Cain and Abel both brought a sacrifice to God. Cain's was no good, but God saw Abel's is great, so Cain killed Abel because he was jealous. Well, that's the first time you see Abel. It says also here, Genesis 4.4, that Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. The very beginning, God's people brought their first and their best. Abel had a flock. He grabbed the first newborns and the best ones. He brought those and then he sacrificed and gave God the best portion. Abel did it. Abraham, 500 years before the law, Abraham at one point gave a tenth of all that was his back to the Lord. He gave it through one of God's priest kings called Melchizedek. There's a whole new story. Study that. That's awesome. But Abraham, God's servant, gave a tenth back to him. Jacob, also long before the law. In Genesis 28, 22, he says this. Jacob speaking to God, And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This has been God's way before the law, during the law, and after the law. Under the law, Deuteronomy 16, 17 says, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. So even under the law, the principle wasn't 10%. It was proportionate. How much has God blessed you? What is God asking you to do? We were to, are to give proportionately. Now, move after the law. After Jesus died and rose from the dead, Acts eleven twenty nine. 29. The early church says this, And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. We'll see this next week. But they gave proportionately, 
2 Corinthians 8, chapters 8 and 9, they lay out that the, the early church was commanded to give generously, sacrificially, proportionately, and freely. Acts 4, 34 to 35. I'm going to read this one. I'm going to read this one because I just want you to show this isn't just in the Old Testament. Acts 4.34, the early church says there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Does that sound like 10%? They were selling their stuff and giving all of it. Now, I'm not saying we should go all sell all our stuff and give, give all of it. But the principle of just 10%, that was a starting point. That was always a starting point. And God's people always gave generously and sacrificially. And again, we're looking at this not to cajole people to give, but because if we're Jesus followers, our hearts want to glorify Him. And this is one of the central ways we can glorify Him. Giving a portion of what has been entrusted to us is not a requirement of the law, but a privilege of the relationship. It's not a requirement of the law, but a privilege of the relationship. So throw out any kind of percentage. We give generously. We give sacrificially. We give first. We give as we have planned to give. So here's my question for you. What is your conviction on this? And what is your plan? Do you have a conviction? Do you have a plan? I'm going to tell you mine. I often try and avoid doing this, but, but I get a lot of calls and I sit down with a lot of people just to talk about this topic. So I'm going to tell you my conviction. My conviction is that we give our first 10%. You know, and I can say this not just because I'm a pastor, but I used to be a, a business owner or a contractor. This has always been our conviction that we give our first 10% to God. First. Why? Old Testament set out 10%, but we're not under law. But you move to the New Testament, whenever Jesus spoke about the law... He always made it harder. Adultery went from acts of adultery to thoughts of lust. Murder went from killing somebody to hating somebody. He always took it deeper because God wants our heart. And if God has always said, my people in their heart, I want them to give their first 10%. For me, my conviction and yours can be different. If we meet and we talk about it, I'm not going to tell you, you have to give 10%. But that's our conviction. And if I don't do that, I'm going to feel a little bit guilty, honestly, because God and I have already had this conversation, and, and that's our conviction. Our conviction is that then, above and beyond that, we give to other things. You know, compassion, sponsoring a child. Uh, somebody's going to camp. We want to help sponsor them, a, a family in need. Those things, for us, that's where we start being generous, above and beyond that 10%. Again, that's our conviction. That's not law. That's not legalism. And you shouldn't go, well, that's yours, and so I have to do that. That's not it at all. My point is, you need to have a conversation with God, with your spouse. What is your conviction? And what is your plan to get there? We're all called to give a portion. You know, why for me is that first 10%? It kind of goes to this idea of, of robbing God because he's convicted us that, that that first 10% is his. So we've set it up automatic. We never even see it, just in and out. Um, imagine you invite my family over for dinner and we eat a lot, so make a lot. Um, but, but you invite us over and we come and we have a great meal and we leave and I don't steal anything. Would you watch us leave and go, man, Derek is generous. He didn't take anything in our house when he left. Of course not. 
Because it's your, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. In a similar way, for, for us, not giving that first 10% is the same time, because it's not ours. Everything belongs to God in that first 10%. He said, and I want to use that for my kingdom. You give that back to me. If I don't, it's, that, it's the idea of robbing him because it's already his. Again, what is your conviction? There is a portion of what is yours that belongs to God. It all does, but there's a portion he wants you to give back. It doesn't have to be 10%. Some of you, it might be 30%. So you might not want to go have this conversation with God because he may convict you way more, whatever it is. But what is your conviction? Now, here's the last question I want to ask. Can I really afford to give? Can I really afford to give? You may be sitting here and thinking, Derek, if you only knew my situation, we can't afford to give. And I'll tell you, I've had plenty of conversations where, you know, people lay out their budget and we just try and talk about how do we honor God with what he's given you. And there's been times I've met with people and we look at their budget and I go, you, it's probably not good stewardship for you to right now give 10%. You need to do some other things and move toward that. But here's the thing. It says, can I afford not to give? Can I really afford to give? Here's my answer to that. I can't afford not to give. I think that's a double negative. I don't think that's proper English. <laughs> but can you afford to give? I'll tell you this. We can't afford not to give. And here's why. In Matthew, Jesus says, Matthew 6, 21, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is something. Our heart is connected to our purse, our wallet. Our, however, our heart is connected to our, our treasure. And for me, I can't afford for my treasure to be anywhere than in Christ, anywhere other than in Christ. That's where he says, store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. Seek first. He says later in Matthew, his kingdom and all the things you need, he will provide. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. I can't afford not to give because my heart needs to be all God's. Now, here's the other thing. Here's the other principle. As we give generously and sacrificially, he takes care of us. As we live generously, we invite the generosity of Jesus into our lives. Now, again, this is another one of those areas where you can look at Malachi and go, wait, that's law. That's under the, the law command of obedience and blessing. That's true. But the idea of obedience and blessing is throughout all of Scripture, that God blesses so that we can be generous, so he can bless us, so we can be generous. This is not health and wealth gospel. This isn't God as a good investment to make you rich. That's not it at all. Again, that's a, a heart issue. Rather, this is us giving and God blessing so we can continue to be generous. 2 Corinthians 9. I'm going to read this one. Verses 10 and 11. He says, this is New Testament, not under law, under grace. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He gives to us so that we can be generous, so he can give more. It's kind of this circle, this circle. But when our heart belongs to him, we want to be generous. You don't even need this message if your heart is all his. You just, you just want to know the details. How do we carry this out to glorify him? That blessing, I want to point that out. 
that blessing is not all physical. I remember I was with, with a guy when I was young. I was a teenager. And he said, you know, I, I'm starting to give you know, to my local church. I'm starting to give because then God will give back to me. I want to be a millionaire. And so the more I give to him, the more he'll give to me. And I'm like, I think there's something a little bit off about that. Your, your motives are, are still about you. But at the same time, I, I, there's this picture. Picture God up there in heaven. And he's everywhere. But, but he's up there with heaven. And he's got these barrels of blessing. And he's just ready to dump it out on you. If you will be faithful and get, that's what scripture talks about. You be faithful with what he's given you so he can bless you more so you can be a blessing. I mean, who would you invest your money with, your stuff with? Somebody that's going to multiply it, grow it, that stewardship. We looked at that last week. And so God wants to bless us, but it's not just material blessing. It's not just, in fact, the best blessing is not material. The best blessing is the freedoms he gives to us as we are generous with him that we get to partner with him in his work, that we have joy. There's no greater the joy than giving generously and experiencing that life. Peace, purpose. These are the things that he gives us, these blessings. Here's a concept we've seen these last three weeks. Everything belongs to God. Some of what belongs to God, he has entrusted to me. That's stewardship. I am to be generous and give back to God a portion of what he has given to me because that fuels his mission. Now, here's what's awesome, or not awesome. If you're sitting here and you're feeling kind of guilty, don't. There's so much grace in this. If you're convicted, good. Then, then do something. Take some steps to meet with somebody, talk to your spouse, get a conviction, and carry it out. But not guilt. There's so much grace in this. Uh, if uh, Picture an airplane. As an airplane you know, takes off to go to cruising altitude, does it just go from ground to sky? There's a process, right? It goes down the runway and it lifts up and slowly gets there. Your conviction may be to give 10%, maybe it's 8%, maybe it's more, but at the moment you look at your budget and you go, that, that doesn't really work. Well, let me encourage you, start somewhere. Whatever your conviction is, start somewhere and plan to get there. If you're new to Christ and you have this debt and you have all this stuff, guess what, for you, it's probably going to be a process to make some life changes to get to that point. That's okay. That's okay. God has grace. It's going to take some time to get to where he wants you to be. That's okay. But let me encourage you this. Meet with somebody. We offered this last week, and we're going to offer that again this week. Meet with somebody. There's nothing more exciting for me than when I get a call or, or somebody here says, I want to get together and talk about my budget. <laughs> that sounds horrible. But here's why that excites me. Because here's somebody whose heart is all God's. They're like, I want to be faithful. I want to be a good steward of what he's given me. And I don't care where we land when we have that conversation. But the exciting thing is that it's our heart belonging to him. So I encourage you, make a start. 2%, 1%. Some of us, it may be 50%. I've met people who say, I want to give 90% and live on 10. That's not my conviction. <laughs> But God is free to give you that conviction. And if so, come talk to me. <laughs> We're going to transition now into our response time, uh, our time of communion, our time of worship back to him. And I want to encourage you, if, if you have been convicted by this, don't feel guilty. That's not the point. But right now, here is our chance to respond to God in joy. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. The way we do that here is you come down one of these aisles, you grab the bread, you grab the cup, 
Come back to your seat, pray there, take it, go to a corner, pray with somebody, but, but take it as you will. But this is our time of acknowledging what Jesus has done for us. This is our time to say thank you. We are instructed to do communion, take the Lord's Supper as often as we do it. We do it every other week until he comes back. The purpose is to remember what he has done, to examine our lives, to see if we're in line with him. And if we're off, to ask him to put us right, ask him to, to take us his direction. The other purpose is we're looking forward to his return. Our hope is that he is coming back someday. And so we take the Lord's Supper, remembering what he did, looking forward to him coming back. So let this be your time of response. Maybe you're good in this area of generosity. Well, let this time be a, a time of just thanking God for what he's done. Maybe you're not a believer and this is your chance to go give your life to Christ and then take the Lord's Supper for the first time. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your generosity. God, this can be a, a difficult topic at times, uh, but it's so central to our life with you. Jesus, you, you spoke about money more than any other topic. In the Old Testament, instructions are on, on money and stuff more than any other topic because these are the things that can pull our hearts away from you. God, I've experienced this, this in my life that where our treasure is there, our heart will be also. God, we want our hearts to be all yours. God, as that rich man met with you and he said, how may I have eternal life? And Jesus, you said, obey the law. He said, I've done all that. He said, okay, now go sell all you have and give. And the rich man walked away sad because he had so much and he couldn't give it away. He was tied to his stuff rather than to you. I pray that that wouldn't be us, that we would be generous as we see in 1 Timothy, that our hands would be open, not just with our stuff, but with our time, with our talents, that we would seek first your kingdom, trust you for, for our provision, and partner with you in what you want to do. It's so exciting, God, to see you at work. I love seeing baptisms. When the person comes out of the water with that smile, knowing they just received life in you, God, there's nothing more exciting than marriages healed. God, thank you for letting us partner with you in your mission. In Jesus' name, amen.